0: Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Tuesday, New York Mets beat writer Tim Healy joins me later on to discuss the fluid situation and negotiations between Major League Baseball owners and the players. And we'll talk about the possible sale of the Mets. First up, it's time for the Belmont Stakes, which will take place this Saturday. It's an unusual Belmont Stakes, thanks to the coronavirus pandemic. It's two weeks later than normal. And instead of it being the final leg of a horse racing Triple Crown, it will kick off the Triple Crown season. Here to talk about that is Gazette's horse rider, Mike McGatta. Mike, uh, welcome. And uh, kind of a crazy uh, time here with the Belmont Stakes. Uh, they had the draw on Wednesday as we taped this. Tis the law,
1: tis the favorite. You forgot one. It's also the first day of summer on Saturday for the Belmont Stakes. <laughs> a more bizarro world yeah. piled upon pile. <laughs> Um, Yep, tis the luck. Six to five morning light favorite. Um, Clearly much the best over this field right now based on his holy bull win and and most recently the um, grade one Florida Derby at Gulfstream Park. Um, Won both races in commanding fashion. Um, A lot of good horses that were supposed to be on the Triple Crown Trail this year have fallen by the wayside because of injury. A couple others interesting horses. Because of that, this weirdly jumbled schedule are kind of rejiggering what their plans, and they're going to run in like the bluegrass on July 11th. Um, so, right now, tis the law, tis, tis the one um, against nine rivals. He drew the number eight post again, six to five. Kind of a measure of how clearly he's the favorite is the, is the next choice is Soleil Volante, and he's all the way to nine to two. So, um,. And I wouldn't be surprised if the betters um, bang that six to five down even lower, um, based on his record and and uh, the buzz around this very good horse. Yeah.
0: Looking at your story, which will appear in uh, the Gazette uh, Thursday's edition, also online at dailygazette.com. dot uh, The number eight position, they uh, Sacato people seem okay with that.
1: Saratoga Springs based Sacatoga Stable, they took funny side on a, their great ride in two thousand three. Won the the. Um, Derby in the Preakness before losing to Empire Maker in the in the uh, Belmont. Um, they have no problem with the 8. Uh, Barkley Tag wanted 5 through 7. He wanted them kind of a little on the outside, but in the middle of the pack. He didn't want to be on the inside. Would have been the worst place. He's a stalking horse who likes to kind of be a few lengths off the lead. Uh, there are a couple speed horses in here, most notably um, Tap It to Win, who's who got the one hole, by the way, so that shouldn't hurt him too much. But um, all in all they're very comfortable but all in all they're comfortable with their horse and I, as my story says it. I don't think it really they could have put this guy out into the parking lot. And he's still clearly the best horse in the race um, and the other angle in there of course and I talked to Jack Knowlton who's the managing partner of Sacatoga Stable and I specifically asked him I mean is, is the post position a little more irrelevant when you're running nine furlongs mile and an eighth out of this long straight chute that goes into the back stretch and goes around one turn as opposed to the typical belmont which is mile and a half which is one full lap around their gigantic track start and finish at the same spot two turns and he said yes it's really not going to matter that much i mean they have like basically a half a mile of straightaway so whatever position you want to get, you can probably figure it out over that very long stretch of ground with a very good jockey, Manny Franco, uh, as well.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about the, the fact that the race will be run shorter distance. Is that a benefit for Tizalaw and maybe the other horses?
1: For him, I don't think it matters. I, this horse can handle any kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure yet. i got to dig through my notes a little bit of whether it may have appealed to some of the horses that are in here. Um, but it's the first leg of the Triple Crown. I know there's a lot of criticism for Naira jacking it all the way down from one and a half to a mile and an eighth, and I totally think that's a reasonable argument. I don't have a huge problem with it just because um, the way the schedule has been so mangled this year. You know, Horses have been able to train, but they haven't been able to race in, in a typical progression that would get you up to you know, like a mile and a quarter, which can be run at Belmont. I mean, they run the Suburban at a mile and a quarter, even though it starts kind of on the turn there. It's a little awkward, but they could have run run at a mile and a quarter, which is the traditional derby distance for the first leg of the Triple Crown. But um, as far as tis the law, nah, I mean, he it, it really isn't going to make any difference. And I, I think he... He would have been good if the, if, the, if this had been a usual year of, you know, mile-and-a-quarter derby, two weeks later, mile-and-three-sixteenths in the Preakness, and then three weeks later, mile-and-a-half to Belmont. This, this horse is good enough. He could have, um, you know, I'm not saying he would have won all three if it was still configured like that, but he, he he can pretty much handle anything. And Barkley Tag has said nothing phases this horse, which is a huge difference personality-wise from Funny Side back in the day.
0: Yeah, The horse that will be next to uh, Tislaw in the, in the post, number nine, Dr. Post, five to one. Uh, what is what's what's that horse like?
1: Um, he's two for two this year, both races at Gulfstream Park. Most recently, he won an ungraded stakes um, called the Unbridled at Gulfstream. Um, one one thing that makes him interesting is he's got recency in his form. He just ran on April 25th, so um, you know he's not one of these ones who kind of got you know messed up by the the stakes schedule. Trainer Todd Pletcher was able to find, kind of figure out a little Florida campaign for him to get up to stakes caliber um, quality. I have to go back and check the PPs to see how he won that race. But, um, you know, he's he's put together a, a pretty decent little 2020, and it has a little bit of uh, momentum coming into the Belmont. So um, he should be one of the legits uh, behind tis the Law.
0: Obviously, oh, so we mentioned Tappet to win a 6-1 uh, number two horse, Solvo. Sole Valente at nine to two. Uh, I, uh, I'm looking
1: <laughs> for flying sun or screaming sun or something sun. I think it's flying sun. Um, uh, he's interesting because he just ran last Wednesday, um, so he's going to have only a ten day gap between. Them. This is pretty old school by trainer Patrick Biancone. Um, he wanted, you know, they threw him in an allowance race at Gulfstream Park last week and he won it he after pre- previous to that he was second in the Tampa Bay Derby so and they were a little bit on the fence whether to go to the Belmont especially considering that it's you know a quick comebacker but they they based it off of Monday's workout and he, he you know it was green light go for for the Belmont so he's in there and he's he's legit second um he's been one of the ones that uh, in this field who has been a regular member of the um uh, the National Thoroughbred Poll that the NTRA puts out that you know they it's got about 40 or so voters who vote each week on the three-year-old top three-year-olds in North America and the top you know overall thoroughbreds and he's been one of the regulars in that list uh, tis the law has been on top for a number of weeks right now and really in this field I'm looking at and I'm a voter so I can I'm familiar with who's been in there I think maybe modernist and has been in there at some point he was third in the Louisiana Derby uh, in um in March, but out of this field, so, you know, Soleil Vellante has been on people's radar, uh, you know, for for much of the year here.
0: If there's one horse that could,
1: you know, upset the apple cart here, who would it be? Um, I was very interested in a horse called Pneumatic, one of two that trainer Steve Asmussen has in here. Coming off a third-place finish to very highly regarded Maxfield, and we'll we'll get to the horses who aren't in there in the Belmont, including Maxfield a little. I'll I'll mention them a little bit, but he was third to Maxfield in the Matt Win just just recently on May 23rd. Problem is, he's kind of a speed, you know, early speed type of horse, and I think out of all the post-position horses, he's probably the one that got hurt the most by getting stuck in the ten because being that wide out, even you know in that straightaway he's going to kind of really have to send them there um you know tap it to win will be able to save ground from the one hole kind of running in if they run in a similar style so i was interested in him until and i you know when he got the 10 now we're going to see you know how much impact that has on his his run
0: um notice that the of the horses that are in this race no bob baffert horses uh, what's obviously well, so, he, yeah.
1: his, his three year old stable, which has been you know traditionally in recent years has been just blockbusters. I mean, he's had two triple crown winners out of there since 2015 American Pharaoh and Justify. Um, and he was poised to make a huge run at that same distinction again this year. And then Nadal, um, who I had on number one for a little while there in the NTRA, um, he suffered a condylar fracture, so he's retired charlatan is other very good undefeated horse um he's got a little injury too and, and there he doesn't think he's even going to make the uh, kentucky derby on september 5th um and then the other one his like kind of a, he's got two that are still in his hand um two two good cards here is authentic who um just got beat by honor ap in the Santa anita derby and, and for that reason neither of those two very good horses are going to be running in the belmont to come you know having a ship coast to coast two weeks after you know running in the Santa Anita Derby so we won't see authentic again for a while so he's still got authentic and he'll try to get him to the Derby and then you've got another one named Cezanne who just made his pretty impressive career debut recently um so Baffert's got had a lot of stuff and had a loaded hand and now he's got a couple decent ones but but none of them that like you know schedule wise we're gonna you know, make sense for the Belmont. Are there any other horses that you wish were in this uh, race? Um I mean Maxfield I think is one that um, you know he just ran on May twenty third so timing wise I, I'm pretty sure he was pointed toward the Belmont and he's out of commission for a while. I'm not sure if he's even gonna make the Derby. Um he, he's probably the prime one of the you know the ones that are still um in training or will be once they get through you know whatever physical issue they have right now. Um, he's probably the big one, um, but you know, Honor A.P. and Authentic are two California-based ones. That just again, the way the schedule kind of got patchworked, you know, you got to kind of pick your spots. And your, a lot of people are still primarily aiming for the Kentucky Derby and kind of throwing the Triple Crown deal out the window, um, which hurt the Belmont. So you know, which by the way does have a ton of um, Derby qualifying points, which is another. Unusual twist that you know this year. So the the top four in the uh, Belmont on Saturday were, will earn qualifying points. The Kentucky Derby, um, so I, and behind tis the life. Th- I really love Honor AP after this. I liked him before Santa Anita Derby, and then when he beat Authentic, um, he really stamped himself as tis the law one and Honor AP one A as far as the top three year old colts in the country right now.
0: You were on the uh, NBC Sports conference call. NBC is televising the uh, race. Yep. Uh, you'll see it locally in the uh, Capital Region on Channel 13, WNYT. Uh, it's going to be a different kind of production uh, this year. Uh, Larry Columbus is going to be in the stands. Uh, Mike Trico will be on site, but uh, some of the analysts will be uh, remote. Uh, yeah. So, what 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 what, uh, what did you learn from the conference call?
1: Well, Larry's got a new nickname, "Lonely Larry." He's going to be sitting on the third floor in the clubhouse, um, all by himself, with his massive, gigantic grandstand devoid of people. Um, he and I'm not even sure why they made that move. Because you know, usually he's, he's got a booth that's like way up at the top of the um, facility. This this point didn't really come up. You know, maybe it's to consolidate where their other people are going to be. I don't know, but. Either way, he's going to be sitting all by his by his lonesome on a platform, um, calling the races, <laughs> and uh, and meanwhile, um, Jerry Bailey and Randy Moss are the two analysts. They're going to just be home um, and doing stuff remotely that way. And and uh, you know they've made a lot of adjustments with how the on-track crew is going to handle things with like six-foot boom mics for interviews, and but there's a couple innovations too like they're gonna have three jockeys i they didn't identify which jockeys but three jockeys are going to be miked up i think through the day and we ought to be able to hear some uh, three belmont stakes jockeys and presumably we'll be able to hear some of their conversation with you know pre-race with the trainers in the paddock before they um you know before they leg up and which would be kind of a cool thing that that you don't typically see and there won't be any ancillary noise around to kind of drown it out at all so um They're doing a couple things. They'll have a helicopter there. They'll have far fewer cameras than they usually do because they're going to incorporate, you know, the the Naira's got like two dozen cameras all around the track for for their broadcast purposes. I think they're going to have like a tricky dancing act behind the scenes for the production crew to, you know, figure out which camera between two different, um, you know, separate crews and everything. But um, between the virtual stuff and the remote stuff that they're doing, they're, they're they're trying to assemble a, f- a viewer-friendly broadcast as much as possible without, you know, a lot of the, you know, the, the noise and the buzz and the juice that you get when there's 50,000 people there. Um, so, they, and, and you know, Larry and, you know, the, the producer Rob Hyland said that they, they're trying to put it together in a way that, like, once the gates open and you're watching it on TV, it shouldn't really seem that much different than... Um, than it usually would.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: you've had a chance to watch some of the races like at Belmont so far. I mean,
0: are you getting used to the fact there aren't fans in the stands?
1: I kind of am, um, and a lot of that probably is because I watch stuff year round at Aqueduct and you know other tracks all around the country. There's nobody there usually. I mean, that's how it is. I mean, it'll seem weird on Belmont Stakes Day, but you know, I've been paying attention to the stuff on Saturday. They've had a condensed condensed um steak schedule so there's been some pretty solid saturdays the last couple weeks that i've been paying attention to and kind of watching the whole card and, and you know and it's kind of weird in the paddock but there's still people there and then when they go out on the track i mean i'm used to not really seeing a lot of people i mean now there's nobody but um you know this sport has uh it do- doesn't really have the on-track attendance that it used to back in the day and we're talking decades ago you know belmont Stakes of day is of course, is a totally different animal, and there's tens of thousands of people there. Um, so that will kind of seem weird. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I am kind of getting used to it because I was already used to it, I would say.
0: Yeah. Uh, obviously, Saratoga is coming up July 16th, and we should mention right now that Mike will be uh, on every uh, week during the Saratoga season to talk about what's going on at the track. Uh, any updates as far as uh, fans or what the schedule is going to look like?
1: No. No. Um I mean, I inquired about the stake schedule, and they still don't know when they're going to put it out. I, I think it, it's pretty common speculation that the Travers is going to get moved um, earlier in the meet because otherwise it would be banging up like a you know a week before the Kentucky Derby. Um, so, like a lot of people are talking about Saturday, August eighth, would probably be the rescheduled. Um, we do know that Whitney's going to be on its usual day, at least based on. The Mary Lou Whitney auction (laughs) press release that they put out on Tuesday, where they, you know, they, um, they referred to Whitney Day as August uh, first, and there's no reason really to move that anyway. But uh, the Travers will be affected, and the and the Travers Day, other stakes races will be, I believe, will be affected. But right now, um, their their racing days are locked in place but where the what they're going to do with the stake schedule and there's going to be purse reductions probably like they did it with belmont here um we're still we're still kind of waiting for that as far as fans um i don't think it's really looking all that great right now because you haven't seen um really any any big sporting events that are on the verge of uh, letting people through the doors you know, there's a lot of clamor saying well they could do this on a limited basis and they could do that and it's probably a little more complicated than people realize or are willing to admit and but you know four weeks out I, I don't think it's really look even if we go to phase four up here um, it's logistically it's still gonna be a headache that they've probably you know I know they've been planning for behind the scenes to see like can we do this can we do that but it's still going to come down to like getting approval from a lot of you know regulatory and and health and safety people so uh we're you know with each passing day it looks less likely and and so I, i'm really not seeing it right now uh which would be a shame of course but you know you, you got to do what you got to do
0: of course i mean it's also a matter of, for you and all the uh, media members how you're going to be able to cover the saratoga media? that's going to be another interesting uh, question
1: yeah, I mean, we'll be on the grounds and we'll be able to do stuff. We've already been to the Oklahoma for kind of a planned inv- invitation only thing that, you know, when they opened up the Oklahoma track uh, 2 weeks ago. Um so we'll be there. We'll physically be there. Um I know for the Belmont Stakes, they have like kind of a VIP fenced in area just outside the winter Circle. We won't be allowed in the winter Circle, but they do have a fenced-in VIP area, which I've been in before during the Triple Crown years, which is a terrible place when it's a Triple Crown, because you can't see anything, and too many people get in there, but we'll be able to kind of use that as a staging area, and then get the um, jockeys in the tunnel back to the jockeys' quarters, and I'm sure they'll have a similar setup at Saratoga, and we'll be able to get trainers, you know, just will be more difficult, and we can't get in the winter Circle, and we'll just have to be scrambling a little bit more, but same time we're not going to be you know fighting crowds and stuff either, so we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Mary Lou Whitney, Whitney auction uh, started on Wednesday, but or the site went up on Wednesday, but then it crashed.
1: Well, the funny thing is, I, I uh, Mary Lou Whitney is a wonderful philanthropist, the Queen of Saratoga. She died last year at the age of ninety three, and her husband John Hendrickson came up with this great idea. She's got all this stuff, including this nineteen eighty five beautiful jaguar that like god knows what that baby's worth and he's decided let's auction off a lot of this stuff as much as it'll break his heart including this diamond choker that he gave her for her birthday a few years ago um and use it to benefit uh, the construction of a of a permanent building for the uh, the medical clinic um at, on the saratoga backstretch for the backstretch workers. it was a wonderful idea um and they, it was supposed to. The site was supposed to open for preview only, so you could just look at the stuff. There's 1,500 items, and there's affordable stuff on there too. Um, and then the actual auction and bidding was online bidding was supposed to start on you know not until July 27th. So there's going to be a long time for people to kind of mm-hmm. you know gather their their war chests and stuff, but. In the meantime, I got an email about eleven o'clock, an hour after the site was supposed to be up this morning, from one of our readers saying, "Hey, I love Mary Lou, and I was really, I saw your story, and I, I really wanted to check out the site, and I can't get in there. It's asking for a login. Can you, can you figure out, you know, find out what's going on?" I said, "Sure." So I emailed, you know, the PR people that are running it, and she got right back to me. She goes. Yeah, we we got so much traffic as soon as the site went up that it just like immediately crashed. And by like <laughs> think like four thirty, five o'clock tonight this is on Wednesday. I, I've been checking all day cause, and then I got another email from another reader wondering what was going on. I got back to them right away and said, hey, it, it crashed. But the the classic was. Um, uh, the the woman who replied to me, who, who's got the inside dope on you know what's going on with the website, she said her husband John Edwards, <laughs> his quote was, "Mary Lou broke the internet," <laughs> and it's as of let's see, it's quarter to seven on uh, Wednesday night. Um, it's still broken because wow. I just checked, um, but this, so I, I mean, it's kind of a measure of what she meant to people and and uh, her impact and the the interest that people have on her you know life and her legacy and everything. So. Final question: Who are you picking to win the Belmont? Tis the law. I mean, in fact, I usually write a pick column for the Triple Crown races and the Travers, and maybe sometimes the Whitney if it's a good race. This year, this year, I'm not even writing one, and it's tis the law all, all the way. Um, he's clearly the by. I know it's horse racing, and anything can happen. But I mean, you throw. There's just so many factors in his favor, and so many potential factors that wouldn't be in his favor, like the post position that you can throw out the window and i th- i think just based on his running style and his quality and his form and he's training great and he's got a great jockey and he's got Barkley Tag who's won you know the first two legs of the triple crown back in 03 with funny side I mean, there there's he's just a really really good horse and you know there's just hard to pick out anybody any like real stud in here that that is going to um give him a problem i mean there's a couple decent horses in here but i, I think he's just so clearly the best that um you know, when he won the Florida Derby by, let's see, four and a quarter lengths with a stalking, stalking um, trip, took over. Manny Franco actually, like, took his foot off the gas in the last 70 yards and, and didn't urge him to the wire because there was no need to. So it was a very commanding performance um, in that race, and he's just, he's just really, really good. <laughs> so I'm not going to try to get too clever genius here.
0: Sounds good, Mike. Appreciate a few minutes talking about the Belmont Stakes, and it should be a lot of fun watching it on Saturday. Yep,
1: I think so. I think it'll be a cool race for nine furlongs at Belmont, one turn. I mean, I know there's a lot of criticism, and and uh, I'm a traditionalist, but I, I think it could wind up being a cool. It would have been way better if we had some of those other players in there. So, but it'll be, if nothing else, it'd be fun to see kind of an unveiling in New York of this yeah. New York bred horse. Yeah.
0: Mike, appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we'll do this again uh, about a month or so. Anytime you need me, I'm around. All right. <laughs> That's Mike McAdam. Coming up, Newsday Mets beat writer Tim Healy will join me to talk about the uh, Major League Baseball situation. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Hey NASCAR fans, it's time to rev up the engines and play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Each week during the 36-week racing season, you pick 10 drivers. If you have the week's best point total, you'll receive a $50 Hannaford gift card. If you have the best point total for the season, you'll win a $250 Hannaford gift card. Be part of the fun. Go to dailygazette.com slash auto racing. Get your motor running and play today.
2: I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be apart part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov coronavirus.
3: World champion, New
0: York Giants. You're listening to the Parting Shock Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Shot. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, less than a week ago, after saying that he was 100% confident that baseball will be played this year, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred sounded an ominous tone during an interview on ESPN Monday night, saying he wasn't confident that the season would be played. That triggered an outrage among the players, But we're seeing some uh, developments here as we tape this segment on Wednesday afternoon. And we're going to talk about that with uh, Tim Healy, the beat writer for uh, Newsday for the Mets. And Tim, welcome to the show and uh, good to have you back. First of all, how how have you been uh, with the uh, pandemic?
3: I've been, uh, you know, a little bored, but otherwise fine. So all things considered, no complaints. I'd rather be at the ballparks, of course, but uh, hopefully we'll get to that point soon.
0: Yes, yeah, well, as we're talking here, as I said at the top of the segment here on on Wednesday afternoon, uh, yeah, two days ago, mentioned Rob Manfred sounded an ominous tone. Now we're starting to see tweets from Jeff Passan, uh, John Heyman, Ken Rosenthal that there's maybe not an agreement right now, but it sounds like they're talking, and that's 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 got to be a good thing.
3: That's definitely a good thing. Monday was definitely a dark day as far as these baseball restart talks go, but. Uh, I've been optimistic throughout that eventually, at the end, the sides would we'll figure it out. Now, granted, I, I thought they would have figured it out by now, and I expect to be back in Florida on today, June 17th. But it's a little bit longer, but it seems like there's a little bit more momentum now, more positivity and optimism for sure.
0: How did we get to this point, Tim? I mean, I mean we understand. Everybody understands the pandemic It's you know, it's, basically uh, shut a lot of stuff down here. But it, it, it's turned into a, a, a greed situation. Maybe both sides are to blame on this uh, situation. And then Manfred comes out and says what he said Monday night. And I think really to me that maybe turned the tide a little bit and maybe a favor of the players.
3: Yeah, I think it did turn the tide a little bit toward the players. It's been a a very Slow and, so slow and angsty is how I described it in the newspaper the other day when I was writing about Monday's development. But the, what it boils down to is the players wanted their full prorated salaries for however long the season is, and the owners didn't want to give it to them. The owners said they couldn't afford it. The players uh, were skeptical of that claim and. You know, insist that the owners did not provide enough information to prove that they couldn't afford pr- full prorated pay. So that's what it boils down to. But really, it's just another chapter in the long, angry labor relations that baseball has seen through the
0: decades. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it had been some labor peace after the '95, 94 strike. But now, right. and now we're getting to the point where it seems like it's 1994 all over again because this, uh, you know, the agreement between the players and the owners will be up after next season. When I mean, is this a preview of things to come next year?
3: I'm afraid that it is. You're right. The collective bargaining agreement expires after the 2021 season, so uh, about a year from now, a little over a year, these sides are going to have to come to another deal, and that one's going to be much bigger and much more complicated than you know, an abbreviated season amid a pandemic. So, you know, I'll keep my fingers crossed that maybe some good vibes from this deal, if and when they get to the finish line, can carry over into next year. But it could potentially get pretty ugly again next year.
0: Well, it looks like we said, you know, we're seeing the tweets in real time here on this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Possibly it looks like a 60-game season, expanded playoffs. I mean, is that you think is that, is
3: that reasonable, you think? Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I, I bet they come in at around 65, 66 games. The even numbers will hit a little easier as far as schedule making goes. Um, what's interesting to me is that the expanded playoffs are in there. That The expanded playoffs are a key part of any agreement on the owner's side because being able to sell the broadcast rights to playoff games to – Fox or ESPN or TBS or whomever it is, that's a massive moneymaker for MLB and a big part of making this more economically feasible for the team owners. Um, That said, as a baseball fan, I'm not in favor of expanded playoffs because I just don't like watering down uh, the product, lowering the bar to get into the postseason. But I can see why they would want to do it for the next year or two. My, My only fear is that they will then love that extra money so much that they'll
0: make it permanent. Yeah, but if they, if they undergo that, do you think they reduce the regular season and that way maybe they have a, a two-month run of playoffs if you begin in September?
3: Uh, I, I don't I don't think it'll be that dramatically expanded. I, I think they look at essentially uh, eight teams would probably be the model. Eight teams per league would be the model for, for this year. Um, so that's just another round as opposed to you know, some sort of NBA or NHL-esque two-month
0: saga. Oh, I love the NHL playoffs. Come on, I love the two-month saga. It's a lot of drama. <laughs> too,
3: too, too long, too long. Lessens the, lessons the value of the regular season.
0: <laughs> well, I think we'll drop the gloves some other time and talk about hockey. But uh, who's, who's really to blame out of this whole mess? Uh, it seemed like it, it should have been a no-brainer. And it seems, you know, could both sides take blame uh, for things spiraling out of control?
3: Yeah, I think some sides can. I think in hindsight, both sides would say that they would have rather done some things differently as far as, you know, some of the rhetoric, some of the anger, some of the leaks to media, uh, you know, both sides can be at fault there. But overall, I think it comes down to, from what I can see, the owners being cheap you know they make money hand over fist owning a baseball team seems to be a very profitable endeavor uh but for the one year probably the one year in the history of baseball that owning a team is not profitable um you know they're suddenly crying poor so i'm very skeptical of a lot of what the owners have said throughout this um and it would it it would be much easier to believe them if anybody was willing to open their financial books and prove it. You know
0: what I mean? And I, you and know, you know, I know that's not happening. Right, right. <laughs> now, are they talking about uh, playing these games in the home stadiums at this point? I mean, We are early on about maybe Arizona be the hub or Florida and Arizona, and maybe Texas was mentioned. About are they talking about you know playing uh, games at home in front of uh, in front of empty seats?
3: Yes, the preference is for teams to play at home. In New York, for example, Governor Cuomo gave the Yankees and Mets the thumbs up to play at Yankee Stadium and City Field. Uh, but if, if if a given team cannot play at home, uh, the Blue Jays, for example, are very complicated because of Canada's restrictions uh, during for COVID nineteen. Um, then they can find another major league stadium to call home temporarily. Or you know, if, they, if it comes to it, playing at their spring training facility, which isn't ideal, but uh, you know, they'll they'll do what they have to do to get the
0: games in. What's the schedule going to look like with the, uh, if a sixty-plus game season? I mean, I, I mean, are they talking just basically play within your own division? Are they talking interleague play? What's it going to look like? You think?
3: Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be regional. So a vast majority of a team's games will be against teams within its division. So to use the Mets as an example, most of their games will be against the Braves, Marlins, Nationals, and Phillies. And then the rest of the schedule will be filled out with the uh, opposing division in the other league. So the NL East will play the AL East, the NL Central, the AL Central, the NL West.
0: Like the, to me, the East, you know, with the proximity of the teams might be the could be the best uh, situation for, as opposed to maybe out west where you have to. Arizona's got to travel to Colorado. They've got to travel to Houston. So it seems like the East might have a little bit of an advantage.
3: Yeah, it's uh, there's definitely less travel in the East. You know, Philly you can drive or take the train. Baltimore and DC are drivable or trainable, uh, or a very, very short flight. I kind of like those flights. <laughs> um, so, so there's definitely less travel involved in the East.
0: Have they talked about, I mean, I know Major League Baseball worry worried about their situation, but have they talked about media coverage? Uh, for example, would you be able to cover games?
3: Yeah, they haven't really officially announced anything there, but uh, based on MLB's plan right now, which is just sort of leaked bits and pieces, they would welcome media to the ballpark but they would probably conduct all interviews and press conferences via Zoom or potentially on the phone. So it's going to look really funky. You won't see reporters in the you won't, you know, hear about reporters in the clubhouse, which has been the norm. For, you know, no, normally baseball reporters go into the clubhouse before and after every game. Because of the pandemic, that prob- that isn't going to happen this year. Um, you know, I, I fully expect and hope that that will go back to normal, media availability is going to be a little funky, but I definitely intend to be there on site.
0: I'd well, be, be happy to do that and uh, not be cooped up in the house anymore.
3: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about the Mets, Tim. Uh, we, we ran a story last week um, that it's possible the, the Willpons have a four or five suitors uh, looking at buying the team. Uh, what's the status with, the situ- uh, with that and how are the Mets fans reacting to this?
3: Uh, as, as far as the team sale? Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it, you know, talk to any given Mets fan and they can't wait for the whole puns to sell the team. The only question is, who's going to step up and buy it? You know, we've heard about A-Rod and j Love, I'm very skeptical of their ability to pull that deal off. More recently, we've heard about Josh Harris and David Blitz. Steve Cohen, who was going to buy the team over the winter.
0: Is it a good time to sell the Mets? I mean, is, can, I mean it, it, it doesn't surprise you there's parties interested right now in the situation we're in.
3: Not going to get that right now. They might get two billion or one point five billion. We haven't really heard any dollar figures thrown around in recent months, but suffice it to say that uh, you know people are always looking for a deal, and the Pons don't exactly have a lot of leverage right now.
0: Yeah. One of the big news that came out of spring training was this shocking report that Noah Syndergaard was going to undergo Tommy John surgery. That came out of, basically came out of the left field. Uh, what happened? Uh, how did he discover his elbow was messed up? And uh, why, did it, why did it take so long to figure that out?
3: Well, like pretty much any other pitcher where Tommy John surgery, his, his elbow hurt a little bit. He got checked out. He rested for a little bit, and then it didn't stop hurting. So they got an MRI. And what do you know? He has a torn UCL and needed Tommy John and is out for all of 2020. Uh, we don't really know anything more than that. That news came out towards the beginning of this pandemic hiatus for baseball. So we haven't talked to Noah Syndergaard, haven't heard from him. Bernie Van Wagenen has refused to talk about it on the record or, frankly, off the record. Uh, so th- there's a lot that we don't know there. What happened, what he felt, when he felt it exactly. Um, so those are among the questions that I, I hope to get answered.
0: I guess at the same time, if it's time to miss an entire year, this might be it because, you I mean, right now you, they haven't played a game yet. So, in effect, it really hasn't hurt the Mets.
3: Yeah, it, it hasn't hurt the Mets yet. It's definitely a shot to their starting rotation depth for if and when the season does start. Uh, but from Nova Syndergaard's perspective as an individual, yeah, I mean, if you're going to miss a year, this is the year to miss. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Well, Tim, appreciate a few minutes. uh, You can follow Tim on Twitter at TimBHealy. Tim, uh, stay safe there, and hopefully we'll be talking some baseball and previewing uh, an actual season coming up uh, maybe uh, sometime next month. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. That's Tim Healy. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment.
2: Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic, We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you. Be well, and please keep reading.
3: Hi, this is RPI men's hockey coach Dave
0: Smith, and you are listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Also, now that the state is starting to reopen, that doesn't mean you should relax. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Mike Bigadam and Tim Healy for coming on the show. Mike will be down at Belmont covering the Belmont Stakes on Saturday. Follow him on Twitter. At Mike underscore McAdam. The Parting Shots Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots Podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Pawning Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Pawning Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and stay safe.